Welcome to The No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. Hey, hey, hey there. Welcome to another episode of The No with me, Nikki Spo. First of all, I want to thank you all because we just hit 10,000 downloads and it is all thanks to you. Your dedication to my show has overwhelmed me with gratitude, and I hope that I can continue to be a safe, inspiring, and hopeful part of your weekly routine. So I started a money series that wasn't even really part of the plan, but I'm going with it because these great coincidences just keep falling into my lap, and I know that I just have to roll with it. So last week, we heard from Coach Lena Caltagirone on our mindset towards and our relationships with money. And the week before that, I told you my personal money story. Today, we are going to learn what we should actually be doing with our money to create and regenerate wealth for ourselves and for the generations to come. So get ready to hear from Mo Pagero, my friend, a mom, a wife, and a banker at JP Morgan Private Bank in Miami. Let's dive right in. Mo Pagero, I've known you for quite a while. We met back in the day as party girls and um, with mutual friends, and then we reconnected as new moms. Like, I think that's just like the trajectory of life, right? Like, we everybody goes out, you know, pre, pre-marriage, pre, pre-kids, and then we all come full circle when we start having babies. So you and I have had plenty a financial convo, and I don't know why, but I always felt like really intimidated to ask you to be on the show. And then out of the blue, like right smack dab in the middle of this unexpected money series that I'm doing, I was like, screw it, I'm just going to ask her. So I called you and you picked up after the second ring. And I, I also think that that's a mom thing. I think like moms of small children who know like their other mom friend is calling them. It's like, you got to answer the phone like and see see what's happening to everybody. Totally. Right. But I called you and you agreed to it. It was so freaking easy. And I want to reiterate ease. And I will do this over and over again until I'm blue in the face, because ever since I hosted Susie Moore, who's the author of the book, Let It Be Easy, I just choose to believe that things will come easily to me. And so I don't know. I create that reality somehow. And it's it's just an amazing phenomenon that I've like brought into my life. So thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to be on my show today. Thank you for asking me. I think that your mindset of making things of ease is great and we should lean on each other more. So I appreciate the call and I appreciate the opportunity to chat today. This is all about women finding their deepest inner knowing. And for the last couple of weeks, I've been running this money series, like kind of by accident. Um, Ideas just kept falling into my lap and I just ran with it. So the first episode was a solo episode in which I told my own personal money story, which I'm pretty sure you are familiar with, like all the saving all the time and like no investment until recently. And then I got to have an inspiring discussion with uh, coach, Lena Caltagirone. She's a mindset coach. And we focused on women's relationships with money, how we hold ourselves back and the belief system that we are brought up on and how to change them um, all in regards to money. So here you are. You are here today to give us some tangible insight. I remember on that chat like that you were so passionate about the idea that whether you have $1 or $1 billion dollars, we as women need to be taking the initiative in creating and regenerating our own wealth. So before we kick it back old school, because I want to talk a little bit about like your upbringing, your background, tell us a little bit about your current position with JP Morgan. Sure. And before I do that, I just have to say that 
you know, you went over really fast. You kind of glazed over the fact that you shared your personal wealth story. And that's a really intimate thing. Like there is a huge barrier that we have for talking about money and, and sharing those details. We all feel kind of naked and feel like we should have done more, should have done it earlier, should have done it sooner, should have, would have, could have. And I love that you just put it out there and you're opening up this dialogue because I, I genuinely believe that's half the battle to changing the script and making sure that we as women are taking control of our finances, understanding where we stand, learning from each other and figuring out how to find a better path forward. So I love that. I love that you took that step and it sounds like you know you did it with gusto and it was awesome. I listened to it. It was awesome. Honestly, talking about this stuff is, is half the battle and learning from each other. And we'll get into this hopefully later in our, our chat, but it's important for women to start talking about what they're doing in terms of investing, what they're seeing in terms of investing, why somebody's doing it. And you don't have to give up any personal intimate details to have those conversations. And we'll, we'll get to that, but I love it. You took a step that I don't know if you realize how big it really was. And so be proud of yourself because that, that will change the dialogue for a lot of people. But to your question, so starting off, what do I do? So I am an executive director with JP Morgan uh, Private Bank based here in Miami. So in that capacity, I serve as a banker, a relationship manager for ultra high net worth individuals, their families and their family offices. I don't really have a common client type. I'd say the common attribute across all of them is complexity. So some of my clients are corporate executives in both the public and private markets. Think the CEOs, the CFOs, the chief operating officers. Some of my clients are entrepreneurial founders, people who have started businesses, people who have started companies, sold companies, started other companies. I deal with a lot of generational wealth. So maybe the family realized their success 50 years ago and they're figuring out how to, how to transfer it down and, and leave a legacy for their future generations. And I also deal with a lot of fund managers. We call it financial principles. So think your venture capital funds, your private equity funds, hedge funds, the people who are running that stuff. So because I'm dealing with such a complex group, our model at JP Morgan is to have a team. So I'm the banker, like the quarterback of the team. Every coverage model has a lending specialist, a, an investment advisor, and a trust and estates advisor. So together, we're like Captain Planet. We come together for our clients and we'll figure out what needs to be done. And then we'll also bring in other experts as needed. So it's just this pylon effect. And I highlight all that to underwrite the fact that I spend all day optimizing people, optimizing families. And there's always work to be done. It's never, it's never complete. And so I just want to reiterate as we go through this conversation and start thinking about, you know, our personal finances and, and where do we begin? It's important to put on the blinders, meaning let's just look at myself, get in the know. You like that? Like, I like it. <laughs> get in the know. What are your numbers? Where are you right now? And then, of course, figure out who your team is. And that team might just be you. Yes. Okay. So when, when you're saying all this, there's so many things that pop up, pop up for me. One, I'm like, I play the comparison game. I'm like, for people who might be listening, I'm like, 
they're, they're, they tapped out already because we talked, we said high net worth individuals, right? Like they're like, un, like they're, it's unrelatable to an extent, right? How, how can I compare like what I have to these ultra high net worth individuals? And so immediately that like, for me, I'm like, okay, well, I can't, I'm talking about me personally, like Nikki Sap, right? Like I personally, I'm like, I can't, I'm like not in that realm of, of spenders. Like how can I do this? Right. And I hear also, I'm like, trust fund kids. I'm like, and that's my own chip on my shoulder, which I discussed in my own episode, right? Like people who come from generational wealth, like how they have so much access. And then really I'm also hearing. So like what you're saying is that you work with a lot of guys, a lot of dudes, <laughs> how many females are typically in your position? What you hit, hit on right there, I get all the time. And going back to the dollar or a billion dollars, it doesn't matter the client profile. The first thing women say to me without fail, I, I would honestly say 60 to 75% of the time, I don't have enough money to talk to you. And I pause because most of the time in those conversations, it's just a conversation. A man could have negative negative a dollar. They could be in debt. <laughs> and their conversation with me is, how much would it cost me to borrow to buy that XYZ? What's an interesting investment you've done lately? What's on your platform? It's information gathering. And so I would flip that on the head because the truth is this is this is about getting more information and applying it again to yourself and figuring out how it's applicable and that's something that is relevant for everybody of every balance sheet size no matter what so working with a lot of dudes i work with a ton of dudes <laughs> and honestly i love them the if i look back over my career some of the strongest advocates i've had that have pulled me up have been men we need that like we need men yeah. to like do that for women as well. Like put us, put us on the map as well. Like we're putting ourselves on the map, but we need them to be like, she should be on the map. I am a lover of diverse teams. It's really been a, a great experience for me, both in a learning environment and in my experience in, in my career evolvement. But to your question, you know, there are a lot of different numbers around how many women are there in finance. I've seen rough estimates of about 15 to 30% of financial advisors are women, super low. I'll say I'm lucky to work at a company that cares about this. There's 250,000 employees across the firm for JP Morgan. Half of them are women. We've got a ton of programming for employees, for clients, for you know, communities that are really focused around women. We have some cool programming for mentoring while you're on maternity leave, for re-entering the workforce if you've taken a break, you know, not just to raise kids, but often to raise kids. So I I have to say that I, I'm lucky to work in a place that really focuses on this. But at the end of the day, in most of my meetings and conversations with across the board from clients to advisors, I work with a ton of dudes. There's programs now to get more women interested in, in these types of careers. There's you know, more of an outreach effort to talk to younger girls and women and let them know what you know, career trajectories they could have in financial fields. So I, I do think it's getting better and it's definitely a focus of tons, you know, I would say many of the top firms but we have a long way to go. One thing I will never, ever say again is that I don't have enough money to work for you, with you. 
Yeah. And I will never again say like, I, I can't afford to work with you. Like whether that's the case or not, like even in my, my last call with, um, Lena Calcigeroni, like that's a mindset game, right? Like that's how I view myself. And I have to like start shifting that narrative like for myself and maybe I can't afford to work with you. Right. But like never again, will those words come out of my mouth because I, I don't, I choose not to breathe that into existence. If you remember one thing from today, cause we're going to go through a lot that's like going to be worthy of taking out a notepad and writing things down. You remember one thing it's put on the blinders. We look and we compare and we say, Oh, look what she has. Look what he has. Why don't I have that? I should be there. Oh my goodness. I can't have an open conversation because I'm afraid someone will judge what I don't have or that I didn't do it right. Or there's a lot of negative energy there that is just a waste of time. Like we got to figure out where are we and let's start figuring out our path forward. I love the path forward. Like I'm all about the path forward. And, you know, we're going to do a deep dive on why you believe it's super important for women to be in control of, know what's going on with and take charge in investing their money. But before we do get into all of that, like tell us a little bit about your upbringing. You know, I was born in, in a small town on the West Coast of Florida, and I was lucky enough to have three older siblings. I'm the youngest of four. I have two working parents. We were supportive of one another, but we had independence. We understood the meaning of hard work through seeing the actions of our parents. I mean, I had a job when I was 15, had a job ever since, and it's just the lifestyle that I had. And overall, it, it led to, I think, a foundation of you know being comfortable in my own skin and also appreciating that I can... I can work myself and I can build a career and a you know, financial path and a, a life of independence that will, you know, that is where I am today. You are a wife and a mother and you're a banker, like a top-notch banker and executive director. And so you've sort of traded these 10 p.m. pre-games um, to 10 p.m. bedtimes to do your 6 a.m. wake-ups with your daughter, Callie. For me, I'm just, I'm really happy with where I am. I think I've found a nice uh, path or niche where I can really, you know, balance my personal time, my work time, my, my development. I have always had a huge passion for being successful. I'm ambitious. I, I want to achieve and to evolve both on a personal level, a family level, and in a career sense. And I, for whatever reason, I don't know why, it's also really important to me that the women around me thrive. There are so many stats in so many research studies. We have good data these days around women in wealth, and they're all kind of negative. And the truth is, for today, let's just forget about all that. And I want you to really focus on just, just one stat that I heard recently that really Kind of struck a chord. Eight out of 10 women will be in charge of their personal finances on their own for a long period of time in the vein of 10 years. So this is important and you have to care about this sometime in your life. And my sister, my sister gave me really good advice once. She said, you know, I believe that you have to plan for your worst days on your best days. And that was something that stuck with me. And Taking the time now to know what's going on in your financial life, it allows you to 
confidently make decisions to support your family, to be prepared for the unknown, which that's life, and to hopefully get to a mental place of clarity and happiness that allows you to feel complete. So do you think that our society is set up to educate young people in managing their finances and creating this wealth? I would say that's a that's a big no. <laughs> that's a big no. And it for whatever reason, I mean, if you ever want a side hustle, start a career where you're just educating people about their personal finances when they're young. I mean, we just don't do it. The challenge is when we get to a point where we're ready to focus on it, we're so busy. Yeah. And there's so many demands on our time. It's just going to go to the bottom of our to-do list. But the good news is, the good news is you don't have to have all the answers and you don't have to have all the solutions. The idea is just to start. Again, like put on those blinders, let's see what's going on, get in the know, know your situation, and then figure out your team and your strategy, whether that's you or that's outsourced, because you're going to learn as you go and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to see and you're going to be smart about it. So you're not going to throw away all your money, but you just have to start. You just have to start. So how do you help women through this? Everybody can do this on their own. Everybody is fully capable, man, woman, young, old, of managing their personal finances. So I encourage you to view someone like me as your partner, not as this keeper of secrets that I'm presenting a language that nobody understands. The way that I start really with with individuals is let's start first and foremost and bring it back to ourselves. So put on your blinders. How are we going to focus on our family, ourself individually and block out everything else. Block out the highlight reel from Instagram. Block out your neighbor's new car. Who cares? Like we're, we're worrying about ourselves. Then you have to get informed, get in the know. Look at your last 90 days. You don't have to do this like massive report. Look at your last 90 days. Where's your money going? Think high level, get an idea of what your numbers are, but also get an idea of where's my stuff? Like where are my family's accounts? And then the the third point that I go over with clients initially is find your team. This is really, really big for women. Huge. Women require trust. Genuine trust to work with and partner with a financial advisor. I'll have multiple conversations you know, with a family and I don't get to connect with uh, a woman until we have some one-on-one time and we really dig into just getting to know her, getting to know me and having you know, open dialogue so that she's comfortable. You should be comfortable enough to constantly dig into and ask those questions of why, 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 why until you get to a point that you're either A, comfortable with the strategy and the investment recommendation or that you trust them and you want to give them the authority to make investment decisions on your behalf. But I think that's a big part of it is that we don't always feel um, okay. And I think it comes back to shame um, saying that we don't understand something. But you, what you're reiterating is that we have to ask those questions. Like continue to ask why until we do understand. And you want to know a secret? Yes. When you ask why and you really dig in, sometimes the person's trying to 
to recommend an investment or a, a strategy that they haven't really thought through and they don't have good answers to that. And so the more you dig in, the more it shows I'm here, I'm invested personally in this. I want to understand you need to bring the same. And as an advisor, I can say the best relationships really are those partnerships. And I like, I like being questioned or challenged because it should be us building a plan for you and making sure like, you know, the details of your life better than I do. The communication there, like any relationship has to happen so that at the end of the day, you know that your strategies, your investments, your whatever are fulfilling your long-term goals. Well, so that, so that it becomes an actual team. Like you keep saying team, like you build your team, like you, that's a collaborative thing. Like building your team is not like build a team outside of yourself. Like you have to be part of the team too, right? So what should we be doing with our money? Like how much money do we even need to get started? Can you give us like three to five or whatever you have, like tangible tips or recommendations? What should we be doing with our money? Yeah. You know, there's no dollar amount. It's unique to everybody. And there, you can frame it in your mind in five steps. And that's figure out your goals, look at earning, look at spending, then you go to saving, then you go to investing. And I reiterate it's in that order because all too often we want to jump straight into that investing conversation. So let's start with goals. I will be honest, this is the hardest one for me. And I don't know why. I think it's a little bit of being task oriented and goals feel so, I had this misnomer for me, myself personally, where how do I put goals in my life that define my financial strategy when my goals are so big, I can't quantify them. And I almost felt like I was limiting myself by creating goals. What I have learned and what I'm I'm working with, there are a lot of different goals you can have. And so it's about focusing on things that you want to accomplish in life. So it can be as maybe obvious as you're sending your kids to college. It can be bigger, like creating a foundation or a charity. It might be a goal that has to do with more income. So creating new revenue streams. So identify those goals that you have and be as granular as you can with them. So they can be, your goals can be a timeline and it can be very long-term. And this has helped me very long-term that might be evolving and then very short-term that you're going to focus on and, and really try to hammer them out. Now we're going to go into, let's talk about earning. Earning means where do you get money? So this is what's coming in. You can get money from three sources, work, income, you can have a job, you get paid, you can get paid different ways, but you're earning something in value. You can receive gifts. This could be a one-off thing. This could be from a relative. This could be something that happens that's passed down to you. And then you get money from investments. So your money is working for you. Once you know where your money is coming from, then you can start exploring, is there a way to increase my revenue streams? And by revenue streams, I mean, what are the pillars that are funneling into my family that are bringing in money, not taking it out? Now the hard one is spending. So you got to do it. You got to look at it. Start to identify how much am I spending? A good exercise that you can do 
is leveraging something that's called a 50, 30, 20 rule. Okay. 50, 30, 20. So those are percentages that make up a hundred percent. 50, 30, 20. Take your, of that earning, take your after tax numbers. So let's not look at like what the boss says they're paying. Let's see what's actually hitting your account. From there, the 50, 30, 20 mindset, and there are many mindsets. This is a, a general way to kind of start thinking about this. 50% would go towards your essential items, your house, your cars, your utilities, your healthcare. That's going to be about half of that money coming in. 30% you're going to use for saving. Wow. Saving is going to go into the next bucket. So saving, you want to think about emergency fund, college kids, paying down bad debt. And then 20% goes into investments. And that's going to be, you know, where you'll have a strategy of what do I do with that overage and how am I investing? And we can talk about that. It's important to note that that 50, 30, 20, that might change for you. Okay. As you get, as that earning number becomes bigger and your spending maybe has become less, then maybe, you know, 30% for saving, you might've already completed the college savings accounts. You might've already completed your emergency fund, any of that stuff. And so then you're going to be able to put more into investments. Having a high level budget and having an idea of how you're spending is going to help you get back to that overarching point of let's get in the know and where are we? The next one is saving. And let's talk about this for a second because saving doesn't just mean I'm putting it into a savings account. And this is what we, you know, you hit on this on your, on your podcast on talking about your money story. Saving worked for a long time in this country because you could get a high percentage rate. And so our parents were, were not wrong for telling us to save. Times have just changed. When you think of saving, I want you to think of these things. First, your emergency fund. Emergency fund varies for people. I'd say on average, it means I want three to six months of my living expense. So figure out as you're doing that earning spending thing, let's look at what am I, what do I need like tomorrow in a cash account to cover me for three to six months if that earning went away. The second thing that's important is to pay off bad debt. Bad debt versus good debt. The quick run through is what are you being charged to have that debt? If you have high interest rate student loans that are charging you seven, eight, nine, 10%, you've got to focus on paying those down. Like that is just too expensive. You got to pay that down. If you have a, a low interest rate mortgage, you're paying two, three, 4%, that's probably good debt for you to be able to give you the optionality to accumulate that asset. And then you're gonna go into retirement accounts. And those retirement accounts, you know, that's a, that's a whole different session for another day. But the point is you wanna maximize any tax advantage account that you have. So if you work somewhere in your employer has a 401k, contribute, figure out what their match is, max it out. If you're self-employed and you're going to set up a some type of IRA, do it, fund it. All of those things are going to grow 
you know, what we call tax deferred. So you're not going to pay tax along the way. And it's a really smart way to grow your assets. Well, it all comes full circle, right? Like it comes back, that comes back to number one, which is defining your goals, right? And so that becomes part of your saving plan. Yep, exactly. Love that. And then once you've, you know, once you've got that kind of squared away, you think about investing. There are two, two points to investing that I think is really important for us to remember. The first answer is something called inflation. So if you look at the price of a gallon of milk in 1984, the year I was born, it was $1.16. If you look at the, the price today of a gallon of milk, it's $3.11. So if you had saved a dollar and 16 cents on my birthday in 1984, and then today I was really thirsty for some milk, I wouldn't even be able to buy half of it. The whole reason why we're doing any of this is because we want to know that if I work, if I'm going to be away from my daughter to work, I want to make sure that that dollar I get today is going to do the same thing today in five years from now. The other thing that I want to highlight, there's something called compounded interest, which again, we've probably heard it. So all this means is when you invest, you earn interest. As you stay invested, you earn interest on the interest. So if you invest $100 at a 5% annual interest rate, so they say, okay, you're going to get 5% on this investment. That means at the end of one year, you have your $100 that you put in plus $5 that you earned in interest. 5% of 100 is five. At the end of one year, you have $105. At the end of two years, you don't have $110. You have $110.25. Because you get like the interest on the additional interest that you acquired. Yeah, because now you're not starting at $100. You're starting at 105. So you're getting that $5. So this is year two. You're getting $5 on your 100. And you're getting 5% of the $5 that you earned in year one. So that moves us to our last part of investing, which is, well, what do I do? At this point, what you have to do is you need to understand that there are three different types of investments. There's a, something called a stock. There's something called a bond. And then there's a whole other group that's called alternative assets. The only thing that's happening is somebody has money and somebody needs money. That's all that's happening. It's exchanging the hands from somebody who has it and somebody who needs it. They're gonna borrow it in some capacity. It gets really complicated. My industry has done a great job of layering really complex transactions on top of each other. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to somebody with money is going to let somebody who needs it use it, but they're going to charge for that. And so a stock, the difference between a stock and a bond, a stock, that person is giving the money to a company, but in exchange, I want a little piece of the ownership. And so with the stock, you're actually an owner. The bond is a little bit different. This company is not giving you any piece of ownership. It's like an IOU. They're borrowing the money. And since you're borrowing money, but I'm not getting any of the benefits of that ownership, they have to pay me some type of, they call it a coupon, but it's 
a regular payment coming from the company throughout the course that you hold the bond. The third category that everything else falls in is alternative assets. That's going to be your real estate. That's going to be private equity. So going into like private companies, that's going to be real assets. You know, if you own uh, commodities or, a, you know, a timber, some people might want to own forest land, like different types of non-traditional, not that fixed income, not those equities. The important thing to note is as you look at your goals, so you've got your goals. I know I have X amount of money for this goal. How do I invest? The closer you are to a goal, what we say is less risky, it should be. And if you look at those first two areas, fixed income and equities, equities and stocks are going to be higher on the risk scale. And that's because their price can go up and down. If you saw anything in the past couple of weeks, you saw, you know, since the start of this year, we've seen companies get expensive, get cheap. So when you're getting closer to a goal, you don't want to deal with all of that. And so you're going to have more in fixed income. Fixed income is more stable. I think the big takeaway here is learning and accepting the idea of making money work for you. How can we women specifically begin to have conversations that leave us feeling confident and empowered in this department? Like, where do we turn? I think first and foremost, we need to start talking to each other. Yeah. And you need to ask your friends, what are you doing? You know, I, I have a, a couple of different networks of, of women that I've been lucky enough to kind of accumulate over the years. One of them, I have a, like a Peloton friends from college text group. And we're constantly sharing tidbits and things. Like somebody will try a, a new pair of pants and say, oh my God, you got to get these. And it's not even a question. It's just send me the link. Or somebody will have a new face regime for before going to bed. And so, and again, no question on verification of anything. Just send me the link. And it's so important to do that as well with topics like this. I, I feel like there's an intimidation in sharing this type of information because you feel like you're going to overstep and maybe share something that's, for lack of a better word, confidential to your family. Sure. But the truth is you can have these conversations and not include how much you bought of something or you know the specific strategy that you used. In regards to your daughter, Callie, how do you hope to inspire her to take control of her financial life? I know that she's tiny. She's, you know, the same age as I think my Shago is. So, but you as, as a female, like, and her mother, like you're an incredible mentor. She has a great example in, in you. Um, you know, there are a lot of things we can do for our kids. And I think setting them up to be financially aware is one of the most important things that we can do. For me personally, there's a couple things that we've done. Take care of your will, your healthcare, POA, guardianship, like just do it. Do it now. Do it now. College savings, think about what your strategy is and figure it out. If you're gonna do a 529 plan, if you don't know what that is, look it up. There are different types of accounts that the government gives tax advantages to because they want to encourage you to invest to save for this. So like we set up a 529 plan for Callie and when her birthday comes around or holidays, 
I just send the QR code to my family. <laughs> Remember, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, whoever can gift directly to a school. They can make a tuition payment. The next thing is protecting their identity. When you have a new baby, you can freeze their credit report. You can add their names, passport numbers, all that stuff to any credit monitoring that you have. The next thing, and this is one that I love, is to educate by doing. And you can do this either in a dummy account or in a real account. Oscar and I set this up for Callie every year on her birthday. We are making, we're funding her investment account, very small amount, this is not big dollars. And for the first couple of years, we're buying a diversified ETF that tracks the market. Essentially, there are all the companies that are, that are out there in the universe that you can buy. There are different investments where you can just buy one, like one little share, and it gets you access to all these different companies. Okay. So then what comes, okay. Educate by doing, we're going to get this account like set up for our kids. What's next? So the next, the next one that I love goes back to that secret sauce, the magic sauce of compounded interest. As soon as your kid has any income coming in, encourage them to put a little bit, 10% of what they make into this account. And then they've got another revenue stream that is already set up from a really, really young age that's tax advantage and that's starting to compound interest. And then the last two, you know, I think building credit is important. This is more when your kids are getting into their teenage years and getting ready to go off to college, but start talking to your bank, figure out what type of credit card you can put in their name, figure out how to put the parameters and controls on it. And then the last thing is more high level and it's, I encourage people to have open conversations around money with their kids. So when it comes to financial freedom, what is your core belief? I think that in order to be financially free, we first have to understand. We have to know where we are. We have to make an independent assessment of that information. And we have to be able to stand on our own two feet to get that financial freedom. I think that financial freedom means mental freedom. Mental freedom means happiness. Mo, thank you so much for this much needed conversation. I hope that everybody listens in because this really is one of those episodes and it might not be the type of episode that like you listen to in the car while you're driving and you get it out in one hit. This is something that we can come back to over and over again and be like, well, because sometimes we're not just ready to hear all that information. This episode can live, you know, like in your, in your rotation where you can continue to come back to it, you know, and take it one step at a time and not feel that sense of overwhelm. But I think that it's so amazing, Mo, that we got to have you on today so that you can like plant the seeds um, in our minds for women and mentors to other women, um, how we can like plant these seeds for our own wealth and creating wealth for the generations to come after us. I love that. And it is a, it is a lifelong process. So don't take this as a list that you're going to knock out in one weekend. I think that a best practice that I, I have heard about is having a quarterly personal planning day. And that's just when you sit down and you check in and you see where you are and hold yourself to it. And if you can, if you have a partner that you are coordinating this stuff with, try to do it with them as well and just chip away. 
Thank you so much, Mo. You're the best. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This was awesome. Thank you so much for listening to The Know. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams. Mm-hmm.